Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Good morning, everyone. Well, I just wanted to say welcome to everyone that is uh, with us this morning live, as well as everybody online. Good morning. How are you? And uh, just want to say thanks for coming out and worshiping with us on this beautiful day. It's very nice outside right now. So uh, I just ask you if, if you could uh, just stand with us for a little bit as we start this first few songs. I would greatly appreciate it. We would appreciate it. So and uh, once again, good morning.
my glasses on, you know you can probably be seated because it's going to be a little while. <laughs> All right, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. So who does God say you are? As believers, this is such a monumental concept to grasp and to meditate on. Our identity resides in knowing ourselves in Christ and living within the stability of knowing you are who God says you are. Who are you that God would want to rescue you, that he would choose to give up his life for you, that he wants to bless abundantly? Let's look at some declarations that scripture makes over you. I am God's workmanship created in Christ unto good works. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. I am greatly loved by God. And you notice all the scripture references there. You are greatly loved by God. That last statement can make your heart flip or your body feel like it's receiving a much needed supernatural hug. You are greatly loved by God. The God of all creation, the God of everlasting glory, the God who is and has everything loves you. And he loves you greatly. We'll go back to the scriptures because there's more. I am born of God and the evil one does not touch me. I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So obviously God thinks you're a pretty big deal. You're royalty, you're his workmanship, you're made complete in he who has all power and authority, and you were created to love, to be loved, and to serve all for the glory of the kingdom. That makes you and all of the things God has created you to be important. You are chosen by a God who loves you deeply, and you are his child. A God who is for you and is never against you. A God who has plans for you to prosper. A God who wants a relationship with you. And a God who will never let you down. So let's think on those things as we sing Who You Say I Am.
Thank you, Jesus. We taught you this song last week. Thank you. 
Good morning. My name is Joyce Freimeyer, and since the little light is green, I'm guessing this is on. So uh, I have a few announcements this morning, but first, lest I forget, which I have done in the past, I have to do the offering first. So if the ushers are ready, I'd like to pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you give to us, and we are blessed to be able to give it back, not only to our church, but to the community at large. So we just thank you, thank you so much, and we ask that you receive this in the honor in which we give it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So hello to everybody out there too, sorry I forgot. So um, our Change for Change offerings for the month of July, August, and September will go towards helping our friends, Harry, is that Hari or Harry? Harry, oh, Hari and Panka in Bulgaria to purchase items to fill their shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. There will also be a new adult class, Praying Always, exploring the nature and variety of personal prayers, begins next Sunday, August 7th, from 11.15 to 12.30, in the Fellowship Hall and online. You can sign up at the Welcome Center on the website, or you can just show up. Mom's group will meet again on Wednesday, August 10th, from 6 to 8 p.m. in the conference room. If you have any questions, please see Carla Coons. And after today, we will be opening up the registrations to surrounding communities for the Holiday Bazaar that's going to be held here in October. Um, if you're planning to be a part of it, get your registrations in today so you're sure to get a spot. So everybody have a great afternoon. Thank you, Joyce. And like Julie, if you see me put my glasses down, you know I have some things to say. <laughs> Joanne is finalizing up and finishing up her sabbatical, and she'll be back with us next Sunday. Tony has been taking some vacation time, and his sabbatical officially starts tomorrow. So for this morning, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker. Dr. Rob Palmer is a licensed marriage and family therapist a professor of marriage and family therapy at Kairos University and Evangelical Seminary, and an approved supervisor and trainer of others in their pursuit of therapeutic and healing skills. His area of interest is quite large indeed. He loves to learn about God, studying scripture, reading the Greek New Testament, understanding the human person by the way of studying health, the body, counseling, psychology, philosophy, literature, world religions, as well as exploring nature and art. He's written a book on the topic of human suffering called The Diamond of Adversity, The Theology of Suffering. And by the way of fun hobbies, Rob enjoys photography, martial arts, motorcycles, travel, hiking, Italian cookies, yum, <laughs> and dark chocolate whenever and wherever he can find them. He and his wife, Virginia, have three adult children. This is the third time that Rob has been here with us. And I just have to say a couple more things about Rob. Rob is the king of PowerPoint. 
as you will see in just a minute, he's back there laughing, but I don't think we've ever had anybody who can put up as many slides as Rob can in the short amount of time and you don't even know it. We just, he just keeps right on going. And the most intriguing message titles. You're gonna see that on one of these slides and it was like, okay, let me just tell you what it is before you see it. Oh, I don't have it up here. It was the scary, intrig whatever, long title about God. So join with me in welcoming Dr. Rob Palmer. Come on up, Rob. honored to be here. I'm embarrassed. I'm touched. I'm humbled. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just one of the boys trying to keep out of trouble and keep the damage to a minimum. And yeah, this is ridiculous too. The, the, thank you for having me here. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. It's a lot of fun being with you. I remember you. I've been here a couple of times and I think, boy, these people are gluttons for punishment, scraping the bottom of the barrel, get this guy back. Yeah, a warm friend of the congregation. I love Joanne and Tony. I've known them for a long time. I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 15 years, something like that. Really good people, really, really good people. I, and, and I know you to be a friendly, warm congregation, so I consider myself honored to be a part of you, Sharon. Nice to see you, and good to see a couple of you students that I've had here at the Evangelical. Yeah, I'm a professor of marriage and family therapy, so my, my real forte is to try to understand this whole business of what does it mean to bring healing to people, and man, that's a big wide berth, you know, so doing what I can for that, and having fun along the way. Now, a couple of fast things by way of introduction. She's right, these PowerPoints are obnoxious, and they're more there for me to remember, oh yeah, that's right, I gotta say this than for you, so don't worry about them. We're gonna skip through tons of them and get done. My goal is to try to get this thing done in 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes, and zip through it as fast as I could. So let's see what we could pull off. But uh, what else I wanna say by way of introduction? Um, I think that covers it. As things come to mind, I'll, I'll remember them. And uh, from, now, from time to time, now and again in my material, I like to stop and Say, what do you think? How, what, do you have thoughts or questions? I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. And, uh, you know, so I'm open to people. Most of the time, my students fight with me. And I tell them, if you're not fighting with me, we're not learning. And they disagree. And boy, they, I tell them, do the one thing you're good at doing. Be opinionated. And are they opinionated? And we have a lot of fun. So, yeah, we'll have fun today. Let's pray together and we'll go forward. Lord God, help us to explore such a vast, tough, big, huge topic. Who has the audacity to talk about these things? So we go in with fear and trembling and we go in humble. So I ask that you would help us to learn a little bit more about you and about ourselves and enjoy life in the journey. Amen. Yeah, big, ugly, mean, and nasty. Um, scary things people believe about God, right? Okay. Misunderstandings. Everybody's got misunderstandings. Let's see if this thing works. Oh. Yeah, all right, misunderstandings, Mr. I'll tell you what, could we cut some of these lights? If that's a possibility, that'd be really nice. It'll just be easier to see and a little bit more, a little bit um, less uh, glaring. So yeah, people have misunderstandings all the time, right? Um, 
a woman went to a store to buy some clothes, you know, and she put the, she pulled the outfit off the shelf, but it was missized, so you know, the top of the outfit, the shirt didn't match the pants, but she didn't know it. So she buys the outfit and puts it on the counter to go forward and, you know, make the sale, and the clerk looks at the outfit and picks it up and says to the woman, about the outfit, Madam, you have a small top and a large bottom. And the lady looked at her and says, well, you're not so hot yourself. <laughs> Misunderstandings all over the place, right? A couple gets married, you know, they have babies, you know, the whole thing that people seem to do. And, uh, you know, they're up in the middle of the night, it's two in the morning, and they're changing diapers, and they're warming bottles. And he turns to her and he says, in the midst of this fatigue and these bottles and screaming babies, why don't we run away? And she said, we did. And this is where we ended up. <laughs> Misunderstandings, we have them all over the place. This teenager had a fever, didn't feel well, so the kid goes into the medicine cabinet, some silly 13, 14 year old girl, and thinks I'll do mom and dad a favor, they'll be proud of me, and she's got a fever, she doesn't feel well. She finds an old glass thermometer, she sticks it under her tongue, and she comes down the stairs, and her mom says, Susie, what are you doing? She says, I don't feel well. I thought I'd take my temperature. The mother says, that's the dog's thermometer. <laughs> and the kid says, ew, you mean this was in Fritzy's mouth? And mom says, well, not exactly. <laughs> Misunderstandings all over the place. We're crazy. We do all these stupid things, and uh, we make these misjudgments. The worst are when we make misjudgments about God. And God is a big topic. And nobody has the goods on God. I sure don't. We're learning, we're growing, we're going as we can, but uh, we're doing what we can. And I want to talk to you about a uh, concept of God. I'm intrigued by the paranormal and the occult. I was raised in a family that practiced seances, Ouija boards, tarot cards, astral travel, the whole thing. And I grew up with that as part of my DNA. Matter of fact, God used the Ouija board, a seance, and some visions and dreams to turn me around and move into the direction of Jesus Christ. I wasn't interested in ministry or therapy or school or any of that stuff. I was riding on Chicago fire ambulances to be a paramedic. I wanted to get into the uh, city uh, fire department and work the streets, you know, and that was my desire. But it all changed one day when I was playing a Ouija board at a, at a makeshift seance. Well, since then, it's been of interest to me, and I walk down the streets of certain towns when I'm with my wife and we're together, who, by the way, would be here today, but she's visiting her mother and her sister in Colorado. So she says, I think she has a secret second husband somewhere out west. I'm pretty sure, but that's all right with me because she puts up with me. She deserves it. She's a good soul. She's a good soul. But anyway, we're walking down the streets of a small town, and I see this occult goods store, you know, you've seen them, new age stores, and I walk in, they just always draw me in, I try to strike up a conversation with the people that are there, and there's a gentleman sitting behind the counter, he's probably looks like he's in his mid-80s, and maybe a little older, very nice man, and I looked at him, I said, you know, you got a very interesting store, I said, you know, there really is a spirit world around us. You know that, don't you? And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I know it. And to be honest with you, I'm a little worried. I says, what are you worried about? I never met this guy in my life. He says, well, I'm getting older, and I'm getting closer and closer to entering into that spirit world, and I don't know what to expect. I said, hmm, what do you think is waiting? I don't know, but he said, uh, it makes me a little nervous. I said, why don't you throw yourself into the arms of, a, of, a, of, a, of God? 
And you know what he said to me? He said one of the most intelligent things anybody's ever said to me in those kind of dialogues. He says, great idea. Which one? Which one? Hmm. How would you have answered that question? Which God? How would you have said that? Augustine was a Christian leader in the 400s AD, and a pagan man came up to him, one that does not believe in God, and he held out a little statue to St. Augustine. He says, here is my God. Show me yours. Augustine said nothing. He did again. Here is my God. Show me yours. Augustine said nothing. Here is my God. Show me yours. Augustine said nothing. And then Augustine went home that night, and he wrote this story in his journal. And he said, I did not show him my God, not because I have no God to show him, but because he has no eyes to see him with. What would you have shown or said or revealed about your God? How do we manage and size up this being God? How do we do him? We all have these ideas of what makes life happier, miserable, money, power, things. How about your picture of God? How about what you think of God? That's an uncommon secret. And so many people have a museum of horrors in their head because they have warped and distorted images and pictures of God, and their God is too small, impatient, remote, capricious, impersonal. Uh, we have these big, ugly, mean, and nasty concepts of God, and they're running rampant in Christianity, and they're killing people that want to follow God. They're killing them spiritually. They're killing them emotionally. I see them. I see them in therapy all the time. And so we need to discuss this. What you carry in your head when you, whoops, when you hear the word G-O-D, what goes on inside of you. Christianity, in so many cases, is nothing more than Christians chasing idols. And we need to look at what we believe when we say the word God. We're just as prone to that as the secular world. And we get disturbed and distorted by our concepts of God. Now, God's a multifaceted being, infinite. How many facets of God do you buy into and understand? God's an eternal being. Is your picture of God evolving and changing? It should be different than what it was last year and the year before and 20 years ago. And your ministry will be healthy or miserable, your marriage, your parenting, depending on your concept of God. You become like the God you adore, right? Right? You become like the God you adore. And you'll treat me the way you think God treats you. You'll treat your kids, your employees, your spouse, your next latest lover, the way you think God treats you. If your God's a harsh taskmaster, you're going to be that way with your employees and your kids. If you think God's light and easy going, you're going to be that way. So what's your concept of God? We are shaped and molded by what we love. Goethe was right. So we got to look into this thing. You know, it says in this passage in the book of Hosea, they became as detestable as that which they loved. You become what you love. And so many of us are just idolaters. The son of man, these people have set up idols in their hearts. We don't have idols on our shelves anymore, not at least the kind that they used to have in the old days, but we have idols in our hearts, false pictures of God. So we've got to look at this concept of God. We've got to examine it real carefully. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to use some of the trades today. If I use your trade or your profession, don't be offended. I'm just trying to use an example. And we're going to look at 10 scary, mean, false pictures that people have of God, right? Now, get it clear. Just because you say the word God and I say the word God doesn't mean we believe the same thing. Two people could work in the same church, pastors in the same church. Pastor Jones believes God is a harsh, 
tough, mean, rule-bound taskmaster, a lot like Zeus. And Pastor Smith thinks God is easygoing and loving and warm. And you got two pastors in the same church with two entirely different gods. Trouble's coming for that church. You have a husband and a wife. They believe two different gods, a father and kids, a mother and kids, right? So we got to get clear in terms of who God is. So let's take a look real fast at 10 false concepts of God, top 10 false gods that Christians worship and cower before, but they're wrong. Yours is on the list. So is mine. And then we're going to look real fast at four summary points to help us understand who the real God might be. Now, I'm going to use cultural roles and occupations to make a point. If I touch on your role, don't blow a gasket and write a letter to Obama or Donald Trump or anybody that you want to write. Don't worry about doing it. Focus on God, right? The first God people believe in is the religious God. This is the most con common concept of God people buy into. They think God is associated with medieval church accoutrements. And as a result of this, they think God is about things like steeples and stained glass and curtains and you know, monks and monasteries and pastors, and God's a King James Version kind of guy, and God likes to use religious language and likes hymns, and they think that that's true. Is that right? Well, it's not wrong, but it's not right enough. Steeples and stained glass and churches, these are our cultural wrappings to understand God. I was in a restaurant with my wife not long ago, and there was a female pastor a couple of booths down, you know, when she was eating, and she was sitting across from somebody, and she was talking very loudly about her church. John hasn't made his first communion. I'm not sure what he's waiting for. The deacons have yet to reframe those stained glass windows in the sanctuary. Our offerings were down last week. On and on she goes, and I'm watching people watch and listen to her. She's oblivious to the fact that everybody's looking at her. And they're looking, and they're looking at her, and she's caught on and on. And it was fascinating because what was intriguing to me was she belonged to this world, and everybody knew it, and they belonged to that world. And it's as if she came from another planet. And when people hear G-O-D, the word G-O-D, they think God lives in the church. This is the most common concept of God. It's not wrong. It's just not right enough. Jesus Christ didn't come to bring a religion. He didn't say, I've come to bring religion. He says, I came to bring life. Christianity isn't a religion, and it's not enough to say, oh, it's a relationship. Christianity is an invasion. Jesus Christ invaded kingdom conflict, kingdom clash. So the first concept of God, see how fast we're going? I told you we'd do this. <laughs> Are you getting this? The first one is the religious God. Second concept of God is a cosmic cop. God is a big cop in heaven with a ticket book and a club. And this does injustice to cops and to God. Rules and laws and, you know, there was a pastor that lived across the street from a church and he skated to get to the church one winter day and the deacons called him in and says, we don't like you skating. He says, well, why? He says, well, we don't mind that you skated, but you seem to be enjoying yourself and we don't like that. That's the way a lot of people think God is. A cosmic cop, a bully. Rules and duties, laws and regulations, cold and demanding. Grace? Oh, yeah, sure, there's grace. Forgiveness? Sure, you're forgiven, but knock it off and behave. And when are you going to get it together? And what about all the sins you committed? Boy, the cosmic cop, terrible, terrible. 
It's just really disturbing. This is wrong because we see goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy follows. Radap is the Hebrew word. It means to chase, to hound, to pursue. Goodness and mercy is chasing you, not a cosmic cop. The third, the third misunderstanding of God is the sinister accountant measuring up and keeping records and lists and all your sins and every word you ever said and every thought you're going to give an account for. This is a false, twisted concept of God, the heavenly tax auditor. You ever been audited? <laughs> I got audited once. Get this letter in the mail. A, what they call that thing, a systems review, something innocuous, oh yeah, right. I had this premonition, I said to my wife, we're gonna get audited, we're gonna get audited. That happens to me now and again. Oh, you're crazy, you're crazy, well, it came in the mail. So we go to the, I call the auditor, I said, you know, IRS auditor, oh, it's a random audit, the last four digits of your social security number. Oh, okay, all right, no problem. I go to my tax accountant office, we met there. It was a very nice fellow, the auditor, my tax account was there. Cost me $300 for the stupid audit, you know, just have my accountant there and we go through everything, you know, and it was quite an interesting experience. Interesting because when you're audited, you're investigated and you're explored in minute detail. So everything's up and up. I do everything as best I could in the righteous way and my tax guy is a good guy and when we get all done and the auditor's reviewing everything, he looked at me and he says, now is this all that you have in terms of IRAs and savings and all that stuff? I said, yeah, not much at all. And he looked at me, my wife's there, and he says, are you sure? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm sure, that's everything. A third time, are you sure? And I'm thinking, uh-oh, something's wrong here. I don't like this. I looked at my wife, I says, is this everything? She says, yeah. I looked at him and I says, yeah, you know everything. There's nothing else. You know what he said? Well, I found something. Oh, man, you could have blown me over just like that. Like, you did? I said to him, you did? What'd you find? I'm thinking, I got money I didn't know, number one. But number two, I'm also thinking, there's nothing. I know there's nothing. Well, we had some sort of an IRA or a CD 35 years ago that we forgot about and didn't put him in. He said, well, I found blah, blah, blah. You got a hundred bucks in. I said, how much is in there? He says, you got a hundred bucks. Oh, brother. But it was fascinating because how much he knew. People think God's like that. By the way, the audit turned out the government owed me 10 bucks, you know, so that was a good feeling. Like, God, you're buying dinner, buddy. So God, people think God's a sinister accountant. He's barely there. He's tolerating you. The truth of the matter is if we ask God, he'd say, I like you. I, I enjoy who you are. You're good company. We don't believe that. Grace, yeah, but get your act together. The sinister accountant is cold and harsh. My daughter, Heather, who is now in her late 30s, was 10 years old, and she said, Dad, Dad, she was reading the Bible, she said, Dad, does God like me better when I'm good? That is a very intelligent question. I could hardly wait to hear what I was going to tell her. <laughs> like, does God like me better when I'm good? There she is, cute kid. I said, no, Heather, God doesn't like you better when you're good, but there's more of you to like when you're good. Because when we're not good, we whittle ourselves down. We kind of fade away when we're not good. But when we're good and loving and beautiful and artistic, there's more and more. I said it's like the difference between liking a turtle and a puppy dog. And that's why you want to be good and you want to be beautiful. 
And the sinister accountant is wrong. You know, if you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who would stand? Nobody. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The fourth concept that God people struggle with is the perfectionistic, moralistic, legalistic, 100% God. Somebody called us the gotcha God. Do more, pray more, give more, be more, try more, repent more. Come on, let's go. Like, oh my goodness, get away. But this is what a lot of people believe God is all about. Step it up. I heard a youth pastor say to his people, I think if God were here, he'd tell us, come on, step it up a little bit. And I thought, you got the wrong God. You got a false God. But that's what he's operating by. And all the people in his youth group that were working for him as volunteers were exhausted. Christians are one of the most exhausted groups of people on the planet because they got this kind of God. It breaks my heart. It just makes me think, what have, what's the disease that has infested and infiltrated our system? Go, 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 do more and more and more. The devil never takes a vacation. Well, that's nice, but guess what? He's not my example. I'm not following him. I'm following the guy that used to get away a lot and go by the seashore and go into the mountains and go into gardens. I'm following him. This is a false concept of God. I want holiness, be better, be holy, be more obedient, don't laugh, don't enjoy, don't smile, don't relax. Oh my goodness, that's a twisted, false picture of God. And Christians feed into that, and they buy into that, and they import, export that to the world around them. This God doesn't bless or refresh, he talks grace. Oh yeah, a lot of grace, you'll hear a lot of grace chatter. We sing about it, we have it in our books. But in day-to-day -day life, people don't buy this, and they don't buy it. You know how you know what your concept of God is? You know there's three kinds of gods that you're supposed to believe, and we're going to talk about this later. And, and, and you know how you'll know your real, true concept of God, what you really believe? When you blow it big time. When you blow it, and I don't mean you just, you know, you, you forgot to pay the girl at Walmart five bucks, and you walk out, and they oh my, I forgot five bucks. I mean big time. You have the affair. You get the abortion. You do the wrong thing, big time. And when you do it big time, and who hasn't, right? An internal voice will start talking to you. And when that internal voice kicks in, you will know what your real concept of God is. When that internal voice says, that's all right, you're loved, you're valuable, this doesn't measure you, you're learning, you're in process, you got a concept of God that is just like Jesus. And when that internal voice says, what's wrong with you? When are you gonna learn? How are you gonna stop? Why do you do this? What's your, you, you got the wrong God. You got the wrong God. You got the sinister accountant or the cosmic cop. I worked with a couple, came to me for therapy. They were sexually active. They were Christian people, young couples, sexually active. Uh, you know, hormones got the best of them and they blew it and they had sex with one another, but they're Christian people. I don't know if they were on worship team or youth group or whatever it was, but then they felt terrible. And one guy was, he said he, he, was, he would start to cry in my office. And he said, I was cutting some potatoes or tomatoes for dinner or whatever it was the night before he was sexual with his girlfriend. He says, the knife slipped and I cut my finger and it had to go to the emergency room and then through tears, you know what he said to me? God caused the knife to slip to punish me for my sin. Wow. That's a concept of God and it is alien to the God that Jesus Christ talked about. The moralist slave driver is impossible to know and love and please. 
Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He spoke of love, not rules. Not, not endless rules. And we talk about all the details of scripture, but the, we are in, we're in a hurry, you know, so uh, we need to keep aware of the fact the cosmic cop, the moralist, these are false God, concepts of God. There was a customs officer that was a little more cocky than he should have been, young guy, you know, and he was working on the border, Mexico and Texas, and somebody escaped from Mexico, and they were in Texas, and he goes, the customs officer goes to the ranch in, in Texas, and he, he goes to the old rancher, and he says, yeah, uh, he says, I'm a customs officer, we got an escapee from Mexico, we think he might be on your ranch. And the rancher says, well, go ahead and look around. The cops, the uh, officer says, well, you know, uh, I got to look everywhere. I'm going to look in your barn. The farmer says, well, I wouldn't look in the barn if I were you. And the officer says, you see this badge? This badge says I could go anywhere I want. The farmer says, well, suit yourself. But if I were you, I wouldn't go in the barn. I'll go anywhere. Okay, all right. Well, where's the first place the cop goes? He goes into the barn. A second later, he comes running out with a wild bull running behind him. And he says, to the, he says to the farmer, what should I do? What should I do? And the farmer says, show him your badge. Show him your badge. <laughs> wow. Cosmic cop, right? Gee whiz. The fifth kind of concept that God people have is the let's make a deal deity. This is God the bargain maker. If you behave yourself and you do the Christian things like you tithe and you do ministry and you go to church and you get a crew cut and you behave and you don't swear and you do offerings and all that stuff, we'll make a deal and I'll bless you. This is a cosmic picture of God as a deal deity. I'll give you a good job and a good marriage, whatever that is, and you won't get sick. And if you don't have those things, like you have an accident, or you, maybe you're going to get a divorce, or maybe there's going to be a disease or something, you must not have kept the deal. Christians think like that. Christians are one of the most superstitious groups, a pe group of people on the planet. They have this invisible, well, you know, I'll do all these things, and then I'll get the perks. That's not relationship. That's business. Imagine if you had, a, you know, your kids or your spouse and you had, you know, this quid pro quo, this for that. That'd be so cold and unkind, yet that's the way people think God is, right? Let's make a deal. This is God at his computer and there's some chump walking under a piano. Who does that? But at any rate, he is, and the button says, smite. And <laughs> God's ready to smite him. Well, that's what people think God is like. Keep the deal and I'll bless you. Don't keep the deal. This is God the bargain maker. This is the average person's concept of God, and it's, I will buy God off with Bible reading and prayer, and the longer you pray, the more you buy God off. We're back in the age of indulgences. Just put the coin, the coin is now Bible reading, the coin of prayer, the coin of tithing, the coin of church service, the coin of good morality, whatever that means, and God will bless me. That's so tragic, and yet people believe this. This is Santa Claus, God. It's tragic, but it's all over the place in the church. Uh, Jesus was very clear. God causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the good and the bad, not just people who make a deal with God. Sixth is the managing stage director, God. God's running show of life. He's got a lot on his mind. It's a big deal, and you are just a little peon. It's a big world. God's got the big dogs to worry about, managing the stage of life.
He tries his best to attend to you, but things will slip through the cracks. Uh, God's the frazzled phone operator, the old day phone operators. He could barely keep up. I had a rabbi friend, and he'd say to me, Rabbi, you know, God's the world's gotten away from God. And I'd say, Rabbi, you really believe that? Do you have kids? Yeah, I got kids. Well, as they get older, they get away from you and they do things you can't handle and the world's gotten away from God. I said, your God needs a God. And he rolled his eyes at me and he walked away. Well, that's the frazzle phone operator. A lot of people think that about God, but Jesus didn't seem to be rushed. Jesus didn't seem to be overwhelmed with life. And God has the hairs of our head numbered. So this stage director God is wrong. It's a very damning God, very impersonal. You're just a cog in the wheel. That's, that's not true at all. The seventh concept of God is God the grand old grandmother, God the grand old grandfather. God's out of touch. Before I had a cell phone years ago, I had to look something up on, on MapQuest. And my son Ryan, that's my son Ryan and his wife Stephanie. My son Ryan looked at me. I'm looking something up on MapQuest. He says, Daddy says, you and Grandma are the only two people keeping that website alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I got my cell phone, so I'm cool. But, you know, people think that's the way God is. God's out of touch. He couldn't explain Facebook or, you know, he couldn't explain, you know, cell phones. He's a white-haired, slow-being, docile, out of touch. That's the concept of God. That's interesting because when you study the Bible, you see that... Uh, God's name is I am. I'm always present. And every Bible story or picture of God shows him in an electric environment filled with energy, throbbing. God doesn't live in a retirement home, you know, and sips lemonade and has to be walking around with a, with a walker. God's alive. Eighth concept of God that's wrong is God, the cream pot, the marshmallow, anything goes. Child porn, that's okay. Greed and elitism, that's all right, as long as no one gets hurt. This is God without a backbone. There's a book you ought to read, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. The Coddling, I have my students read this book. The Coddling of the American Mind. Very disturbing. Uh, for example, The Coddling of the American Mind says, uh, we shouldn't let kids play dodgeball or tag anymore because hurling things at people scares them. Saying, tag, you're it, or tag, you're out, all makes people feel offended. We don't want anybody to feel offended. It traumatizes them. It triggers them. There's the word. Oh, well, Johnny, two plus two isn't seven for most people. For most people, it's four, but you're being creative today. <laughs> yeah, and you're being wrong, too. But we coddle and coddle, and is God that way? Uh, the jellyfish deity, a gutless god. Somebody said, if you have no enemies, you have no character. The cosmic coddler. God wouldn't hurt anyone. God lets everyone in. God the cosmic hippie. Uh, that's not true because Jesus did not come to bring opiate, the opiate of the people. He came to bring a sword. And so this construct of God is the big old cream puff is just false. It's just tragic and, and it should be de- Constructed. God the force. God's impossible to define. He's nebulous. He's vague. He's what Freud called a pneumonosis. He's a cloud. He's the force. He's all good things. Christian scientists believe that. But Jesus taught us God is a person. God is a face. God is a being, an individual with personality. But a lot of people think God is a force. 
The tenth last one is God, the long-gone clockmaker. The, the, the deism's God. God wound the clock of the universe with a billion-year mainspring. And he wound it all up, and he's gone. Who knows where he went? A lot of people believe this, right? Like a pilot that pushed the auto button, and he bailed out. I heard of a woman that bought a motor home, a mobile home. Those things are like $120,000. They're huge. They're expensive. And she didn't know anything about mobile, motor home. What do you call them? motor homes, right? Yeah, motor home. And she, RV. RV, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so she bought this thing and she drives it off the lot, $100,000. She didn't know anything about them, right? She gets in the seat and she's driving and, and she sees, oh, cruise control. She hits cruise control and she thinks it's autopilot. She gets up to go in the back and make a sandwich. <laughs> what? And the thing veers off and crashes. And that's what people think God is doing. Oh my goodness, are we ever stupid? Look, don't confuse subtle with absent. Don't confuse subtle with absent. Your kidneys are subtle within you, but they are not absent. The neurons in your brain are extremely subtle as they're exchanging uh, dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine and all that stuff, but they are not absent. God is subtle. Isaiah says, truly, you're a God who hides himself. God hides on purpose. And yet it says it's impossible for him to be hidden. Both are true. So those are the top 10 false concepts of God. Christians worship. There they are. There's more. But the, these are the big ones. And when you have these as your concept of God, uh, they will hurt you. And they will mess up the way you do parenting, and they will mess up the way you enjoy life, and the way you do marriage. I'm a marriage and family therapist. That's my forte. I'm interested in this whole concept of healing. Where are the healers in our world today? How do you heal? Well, these create dysfunction and cancers of the soul. <clears throat> and they're all here, and they're in the church. These are the reasons the, the culture walks away from the church. If this is your God, I don't want it. And the culture is smarter in some ways. You could put them on a grid. You could do a lot of things with this stuff. I teach this to my students. You know, you could say, well, they're shadow, shadowy concepts of God, too concrete, they're too stern, they're too indulgent, and they form these quadrants, and, and we go further, we don't have time. But you have at least three kinds of gods. You have your supposed to God. This is what you read in the theology books and your pastors and your leaders. This is what you're supposed to believe. We sign off our doctrinal statements. And then there's your I hope it's true God. This is the God you wish were there. And then you have your real God. And as I said earlier, the one you believe in is the one that kicks in the minute you blow it big time. That's your real God. Now, fast, real fast, what are these things? They're distortions and lies because they're true to a bit, but when they're taken to the extremes, they become false. God is principled. That's true. But God's not a cosmic cop. God is loving. That's true. But God's not a cream puff. You see what I'm saying is they're true, but when taken to the extreme, they're false. Number two, they're unrelatable. Who could love a religious bore or a senile god or a frazzled phone operator? They're unrelatable. Number three, a lot of times they reflect our parents. The way mom and dad raised us is the way we project onto God. And number four, they say more about you than they do about God. They say a lot about you. You become like the God you adore. Now what's real scary is, if that's true, you resist information about other versions of God. You'll fight it like crazy. 
And people who share the same concept of God band together and they make a church. And then they promote that concept of God. And they're resistant to truth to come in and change them. And that's real, that's real disturbing. And then you become like your distortion. Well, what, what do we have then in terms of the true God? Let's do this five minutes. Let's see if we can pull this off in five minutes, all right? We are dealing with an incredibly complicated being. <clears throat> so no one can give you the goods. I'm not trying to do that. I'm saying we're, we're in a journey. So we're dealing with something that is like makes the DNA molecule and everything that we see as complex simple. God's multifaceted. So the best we can do is approximate our knowledge. So let me tell you four things about God. Number one, the true God is just like Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Study Jesus. We know the Son of God, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true and we are in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Who is God? What's God like? Study Jesus. Philip says to Jesus in the upper room, show us God and we'll be happy in Philip. And Jesus says, Philip, if I've been with you so long, you don't know me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14. Jesus is God. God is just like Jesus. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time, but the unique one and only God who is in the bosom of the Father has exegeted him, mind, leads out the meaning. Jesus teaches us what God is like. As Jesus is kind, God is kind. As Jesus indignifies, God dignifies. What angered Jesus angers the Father. There's no such thing as an Old Testament and a New Testament God that is wrong. It's the same God. It's the same deity. So what's God like? Just like Jesus. Number two, God is just like the father of the wayward son. Luke 15, you know the story of the prodigal son. The kid goes off, he does his own thing, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, makes a mess of his life. The father sees him coming back and he throws his arms around him and he has compassion and he brings out the best robe and the best ring and the best sandals and he has steak, let's create steak. And then he says, let's go get a symphony, or the Greek says a symphony orchestra, music and dancing. That's what God's like. The father of the prodigal son. If your God is not like the father of the prodigal son, you got the wrong God. I was working drug and alcohol therapy in a DNA center and I had a group of recovering addicts always getting together every two, three days, 28 day rehab and I'm the DNA therapist there and <clears throat> I tell them, God bless you people for being here. All different religions and all different cultures, you know, and I'd say, you know, you're trying to recover from drug and alcohol, I, 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 here's, my simple, here's my simple psychology of addictions. Number one, every addiction is a highly religious experience and it starts out like this. Number one, your addiction, drugs, sex, alcohol, cocaine, whatever it is, starts out as a savior. This thing will save me. My cocaine, my pornography, my alcohol, my money, whatever, this thing will save me, make me happy. Number two, it turns into a god and then in time, number three, it turns into a demon. And it will possess you. And they'd all nod. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then I'd say, now look, it takes a God to conquer a God. You need a God to overcome pornography or addictions to drugs or alcohol or money or rage or whatever it is. I highly recommend Jesus Christ. You go find your own God. I'm just a satisfied customer. I'm not a salesman, but I highly recommend Jesus Christ. A woman came to me after I did my group work one day. 26-year-old, pretty girl cocaine, recovering from cocaine. 
She said, you know, you talk about you recommend Jesus Christ. What do you mean? What are you saying? I said, well, you know, have, have, have you ever read? The, I said, you know, the four best therapists in the world are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <coughs> you know what she said to me? Who are they? Who are they? I said, you don't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Where'd you grow? You grow up in Uganda? No, I grew up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. What? How is that possible? I said, have you ever heard of the story of, and then I started telling her the story of the prodigal son. You ever heard of the story of the prodigal son? Who's that? I could, I could have cried. Here you are in America, supposedly one of the best countries in the world. That's a questionable construct, but at any rate, and you never heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, you never heard about the prodigal So I started telling her. Well, there was a man that had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the inheritance that's going to come my way. And the father goes to the safe, and he dials the common, and he takes out his money, and he gives it to the older brother and the younger brother. And the younger brother takes the money and scoops it up, and he goes on a journey a far way off. And I'm telling the story, right? She never heard this story in her life. Tabula rasa, blank slate, never heard it before. How ripe, how beautiful. What would you have said to this girl? Never heard it before. Jesus loves you, you got a wonderful plan for your life. You're going to die and go to hell, repent, be born again. I didn't say any of that stuff. I told her the story of Jesus, the prodigal son. And I says, the kid, you know, he winds up in a pig pen feeding the pigs and he's hungry and he comes to himself. Jesus says, this wonderful friend. When he comes to himself, when you're away from God, you're away from yourself. And he comes to himself and he says, how many of my fathers, how many of my father's servants have, there's, the Greek says they're surrounded by bread. And here I am eating pig food. I know what I'll do. I'll go home. Not because I miss my father, but because I miss the bread. Huh, what a reason to change your life. But anyway, I'm telling the story, and the kid gets up, and he goes home, and the father sees him a long way off, and he gets excited, and he runs, and he hugs him, and embraces him, and he kisses him, and he, he said, bring the best robe, and bring the, bring the sandals, and bring the re and the girl is riveted on me. She's locked onto me. It was a moving moment. She's just focused. And I get all done. And I tell about the elder brother and about the father. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost. He's not found. And she had tears coming down her cheeks and she said to me, Dr. Palmer, that's the most beautiful story I ever heard. And I looked at her and I says, and you telling me you never heard it is like saying you never ate an ice cream cone and you never had a steak. And this is the being that loves you. Too bad so many Christians don't believe that. Too bad that that is not their God. But that is the way God really is. Jesus said so. The true God is like the father of the prodigal son. The true God is not like the elder brother in that story. We got that all turned around. The elder brother wants to nail that kid. The elder brother wants to exclude him. Put him on probation. Ream him out. Keep him at arm's length. The elder brother is running Christian churches. And the father is out. The elder brother wants, the father doesn't talk about payment. You offended my honor. We have to talk about what you did. There's none of that stuff. There's acceptance and there's grace. And if you compare the elder brother and the father, you could see false concepts come through. Number three, the true God is like love, right? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. I didn't make that up. God is love. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Well, then what's love like? So we get a profile of love, 
1 Corinthians 13, and we get a picture profile of God when we look at 1 Corinthians 13. If love is patient and kind and all those things, then God is patient and kind. And look at this, love keeps no account of wrong. God keeps no account of wrong. Love does not act unbecoming. God won't embarrass you. True concept of God. What's God really like? Not a cosmic cop, not a bully, not a moralist, not a religious. God is number one, just like Jesus. Number two, God is just like the father of the prodigal son. God, number three, is love. Number four, with this we're going to be done. God is Jonah's frustration and our celebration. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. Jonah is told by God, go tell the bad guys to turn and repent. Go tell Putin and Russia. 40 days, the whole place is coming down. Jonah loves the idea. Good. Good move, man. It should come down. Go get him. And God says, no, go tell him. And Jonah says, if I go tell him, if I go tell Putin in Russia, God's going to clean this place up in 40 days. What is 40 days? What are we, August 1st? So what would that be? Mid-September? Mid-September is the deadline. The, the war in Ukraine is over. Russia's going to get it. God said so. I'm not going to tell him because I know this God. And I know if they change, this God will forgive them, and I don't want them forgiven. So Jonah takes the first freighter out of town because he knows, I know the way you are. And sure enough, God maneuvers Jonah to go there, and Jonah goes there, and he doesn't have a nice message. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't say that to the Ninevites. He doesn't say, God will forgive you if you repent. He doesn't say any of that sweet stuff. He says, 40 days, and Nineveh is going down. That's it, a one-liner message, that's it. And sure enough, they turn, they repent, and God forgives them, and Jonah is furious. He's furious. Do you get that? Jonah's man at God. I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd let them off the hook. You're too nice. You're too nice. Jonah is more religious than God. <laughs> Jonah's more moral than God. I wanted him dead. You ought to make him suffer. But that's the way you are. You forgive people. You forgive those LGBTQs. You forgive those people that murder. You forgive those people that steal. You forgive those politicians. You forgive and forgive and forgive, and I hate that about you. And God says, Jonah, huh, wait a minute. Let's get your head straightened out here, buddy. You're a Ninevite, too. We're all Ninevites. We're all Putin. We're all Russians. We're all Nazis. We all need to be forgiven. All of us. Every one of us. And God's handing out forgiveness because that's the way God is. So what's God really like? Well, the good news is that God is just like Jesus. God is just like the father and the prodigal son. That's New Testament. God is love. So get your head together on love and you get your head together on God. God is Jonah's frustration, but your celebration. So the question is, how does this dethrone your false concept of God and replace it with something that's life-giving? Karl Barth was a theologian, and he a uh, very skillful man, and he wrote a lot about what he believed was true. One day he was in an art museum with his nephew, and Karl Barth, this German fellow, was standing with his nephew looking at that famous painting of Jesus Christ standing at the door knocking. And Barth is quiet, and he's studying the painting, and his nephew is standing next to him studying the painting, and all of a sudden Barth 
jumps out and says in German, Nein! Nein, nein, nein! No, no, no! The nephew is like, what happened? Bart looks at the painting. He says, Christ doesn't stand at the door and knock. He beats at it with a cross like a huge battering ram. And he busts it down. And he comes rushing in. And he throws his arms around you. And he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's the right concept of God. God bless you. Let's pray and go home. Lord Jesus, God bless these people. Help us to believe in the God that you are and dethrone the liar gods that are big, ugly, mean, and nasty and help us to live and abide in love. Amen. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for being here. I think this uh, concludes our service, and I wish you well, and I pray for you. Have a great day.